Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 25. Let me read this passage for you, and as I read, uh, please just follow along. This is what the Word of God states. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as a one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is here is is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God." For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we may die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Amen. Bow with me for a moment of prayer. God, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, an opportunity for us to freely gather, to worship you, God, to hear from you, Lord. And God, at this time, as we go through your word, Father, I just pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak the words of God. You speak truth into our lives. Lord, that you give us the grace, God, to become more like you. And even as we have just sung just minutes ago, Lord, that we will be those who would choose to follow you no matter what, God. So, Lord, be with us now, God. And as we listen to your word, may we be edified in all things, God. May you be glorified. Amen. You know, after two-week hiatus, uh, today we resume um, in our current series of kingdom-driven life. You know, when the question of, hey, what is the title of our current sermon series was asked during our block party, um, I I both laughed and and also gasped hearing the different responses that people were sharing. And also looking at the confused faces, many of them, uh, when that question was asked, showing evidence that, hey, A lot of people were unsure, they were uncertain of what the title was. So I want to repeat it one more time. The title and the theme of our sermon series currently is the king or kingdom-driven life. 
It's not impact, although that's the vision statement for Rooftop Church. It's not Jesus, although Jesus is always right, but the title and theme of our current sermon series is Kingdom Driven Life. And the purpose of the series is for us to glean from the letters of 1 Peter and 2 Peter of how being kingdom driven should affect and impact how we as Christians live here on earth. And the last time we left off in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter I shared a message from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. And just to kind of refresh our memory, let me re- read these verses one more time. It says this. It says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of, our, in the day of visitation. And just to summarize the main point or the main message found in these two verses, I stated that the Word of God calls us to, as beloved children of God, as those who have been called to be strangers and foreigners in this world, those who belong to the kingdom of God where our citizenship is in the kingdom of God, Jesus is calling us to resist evil and to do good for the sake of the lost and the glory of God. And that's the main message that God was telling us in these, first two, in these uh, verses of verses 11 to 12. In the following verses, and the verses we'll be focusing on today in verses 13 to 25, Apostle Peter shares with us of how we are to resist evil and do good for the sake of the loss and the glory of God in two specific contexts. One, it's our civil life. And secondly, it's our vocational life. Especially in relation to our civil authorities or our civil government, as well as in relation to our vocational authorities, our bosses or employees, or those that we work for. But let's let's look first at the first context. How are we to resist evil and do good for the sake of the lost and the glory of God um, in our civil life, especially in relation to, again, our civil government and our civil authority? And this is what Apostle Peter says in verses 13 to 16. Let me read it for you. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as a one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Notice here that Apostle Peter says, submit yourselves. You see, submission is a decision you and I need to make volitionally. And I believe that Apostle Paul, God gives us this command in this verse because as people, our disposition is actually to do the very opposite. See, being born with sin, our disposition is to rebel. It's to resist rather than to submit. Let me give you an example Those of you with young children, you know that sin is well and alive even from the very beginning. Rather than listening or submitting, there's a desire. There's an urge to resist and even to disobey and not follow. And I think we would agree that this same disposition remains even as we get older. 
right? Quite honestly, we don't like being told what we can or cannot do. So here God is telling us as His beloved children and those who belong to the kingdom of God, we are to choose. We are to choose and make that decision to submit and to honor our governing authorities. In church, it doesn't matter if the person in authority is one who belongs to our political affiliation or not. It doesn't matter if the person in authority is someone we respect or not. And it doesn't matter if we agree or even disagree with the person in authority. President Joe Biden, he's the President of the United States. Governor Gavin Newsom, he is the Governor of California. And in this world, we are to submit to and to honor them as our governing authorities. In the same way, if President Trump won the election in 2020, and in California we had a Republican, a Libertarian, a Green Party, or other party affiliate that filled the position of governor in California, hey, in the same way, we would be called as those who belong to the kingdom of God and the children of God to submit to and to honor them as our governing authorities as well. Let me remind you, church, Apostle Peter is writing a letter to Christians during the reign of the Roman Empire who was ruled by a deranged and a cruel emperor by the name of Nero. And if you remember, Nero has committed some of the most heinous atrocities against the Christians. Later in life, we'll we'll find out that Apostle Peter actually is a victim of this persecution that Nero is, is, is coming against the Christians. And, and we know that even Apostle Peter later in his life, he's crucified upside down under the rulership of Nero because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And it's during this rule of Nero that Apostle Paul is calling the Christians, again, to res- resist evil and to do good for the sake of the laws and the glory of God How? By submitting to and honoring the governing authorities over them, including Nero. You know, on the topic of governing authorities, Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 4, this is what he says. He says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Here we find Apostle Paul, what he's stating is that the institution of governmental authority has been created and established by God under his sovereignty for the purpose of maintaining order by punishing evil and promoting good. If you remember when Jesus was standing in trial in front of Pontius Pilate, Jesus even says to Pilate in in John 19, 11, he says, you, Pilate, would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. 
Again, church, we must understand that the institution of governmental authority has been created. It's been established by God under his sovereignty. So for us to submit to the governing authorities, we are ultimately submitting to the authority of God. In other words, we submit to our governing authorities in submission to our God. And just as a note here, I want to state this. Submission doesn't mean that we necessarily agree with those in authority. Nor does it mean that we respect or condone the conduct of the one in authority. It also doesn't mean that those in authority always conduct themselves in a way that God has intended for them to do, right? Just just to kind of understand that, just to know that. But in our passage today, there are three reasons given of why God commands us, why God calls us to submit to the authority of our government. And we find it in two verses, verses 13 and 15. This is what the Word of God says. It says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That's one. In verse 15, he says, for such is the will of God. That's second. That by doing right, you may, this is the third, silence the ignorance of foolish men. In verse 13, first one, he says, for the Lord's sake. He's saying submitting to and honoring our governing authorities is what brings glory to God. This is what pleases him. This is what honors him. In the message translation by Eugene Peterson, 1 Peter 2.13, he translates, he translates it this way. He says, make the master proud of you by being good citizens. Respect the authorities, whatever their level. Why are we called to submit to our governing authorities? One, for the Lord's sake. This is what pleases God. This is what honors our God. Secondly, he says this is the will of God. It's simple. This is what God desires of his children. His will and his desire for us as those who belong to the kingdom of God are to submit to and honor our governing authorities. Lastly, he says to silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. If you remember at verse 12, we read that the Gentiles, or in other words, non-believers, they were slandering the Christians as evildoers. They were saying essentially that Christians were troublemakers, that they're a problem, that they're a danger to society, that they're no good, that they're of no benefit. And the key word here is ignorance. It says, in their, in their ignorance about Christianity and Jesus, they were slandering Christians. But you know what? Their ignorance is expected. I mean, they're, they're non-believers. They don't know what Jesus is about. They don't know what Christianity is all about. Therefore, Apostle Peter calls us here. He says, therefore, you as Christians silence their ignorant talk and their foolish talk by showing them by showing them through your conduct what Jesus is all about, what Christianity is all about. And the practical way that he's calling us to do this is by being good citizens. And how are we to act as good citizens? He says it, by submitting to and honoring our governing authorities. I'll give you an example that's really relevant to us. 
You know, when the COVID pandemic hit and it happened in, in 2020, the government asked the places of worship uh, to pause or to stop their in-person meetings. And the reason behind this was to help prevent the spread of COVID and to protect people from getting COVID. As a church, we decided out of love for our neighbors, out of love for our community and our nation, as well as our submission in honoring our governing authorities, we decided to stop or to pause our in-person meetings and go remote and go all virtual. Personally, maybe you disagree with me, I'm glad we did that because I believe in doing so, we honored God. I believe in doing so, we represented Jesus well. And maybe in some cases, we may have, you know, silenced the ignorant talk of some. Those who may have said, you know, God is not a loving God. God doesn't care about people, right? The church is all about themselves. We have shown people, at least in our communities or those that know about our church, and saying, hey, out of love for you, out of love for the people in this country and the nation, we understand the situation that we're in. So we are, again, out of love for our neighbors and out of honor and submission to our governing authorities, we're going to abide by the order and stop or pause our in-person meetings. You know, I said it before, and I'll say it again, church. Our conduct will have an impact on our witnesses, as well as how people may view Jesus Christ. Let people see through our conduct that Christians and that Jesus Christ are really a blessing in our communities. That the community would know a difference for having the body of Christ within their community, within their neighborhood. Let people see, let those around us see the blessing that Jesus Christ is and that we as a body of, a body of Christ can be when we are here in the community. And again, one way that we do this is by submitting and honoring those in our governing authority. Now, with that said, Will there be times, are there times, when we may need to disobey our governmental authorities? Absolutely. In moments when, you know, the government forbids what God commands or commands what God forbids, in those moments, we are to respectfully disobey the governing authorities and obey God. We see examples of this in Scripture, right? Let me give you some. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. They were commanded by King Nebuchadnezzar to bow down and to worship this golden image that he's creating. But they defied that order. They defied that command because it went against the command that God has given to them, which is that you shall not bow before any idol. You shall have no other gods before me. And as a consequence, they were thrown into the blazing furnace of fire. A couple of chapters later in Daniel 6, we find Daniel. King Darius at this time made a law that anyone who makes a petition to another person or another god besides himself will be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel knowing of this decree, Dad, Daniel knowing of this law that has been decreed in that nation, he still chooses to go to his room to kneel down and to pray to God three times a day. What happens? He's thrown into the lion's den, but again, it forbid him from doing what God has commanded him to do. So he defied the government and he obeyed 
God. Let me give you one more example. Apostle Peter, the author of this letter, we read in Acts chapter 5 that Apostle Peter is imprisoned. He's beaten. Um, he's arrested. He's beaten. He's imprisoned for preaching the gospel. We read that an angel comes at nighttime and sets him free, and he walks freely outside miraculously, and he goes back, and he preaches the gospel. Those that imprisoned him, those that arrested him, saw Peter and said, hey, we told you that you cannot preach the gospel. You can't do this anymore. And that's where Apostle Peter responds in verse 29. He says, we must obey God rather than men. You know, in our case, if the government were to tell us during our stay-at-home order, in addition to stopping our in-person meetings, if they said, you have to stop meeting like period, you can't even meet virtually, or if they're to tell us, hey, you know, you have to stop teaching from the Bible, or they say, you have to stop teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, at that moment, church, we need to respectfully disobey our governing authorities out of obedience to our God. And like Apostle Peter said, we would have to say, rather than obeying men, we must obey our God. For at that moment, again, government would be forbidding what God commands. But you see, church, in moments we choose to act in civil disobedience or even voice our disagreements, as well as when we call and stand for justice and accountability when we experience or when we see injustices happening, we must make sure that we do it in a way that is both respectable and honorable in the eyes of men and God. Apostle Peter writes in verse 16, he says this, he says, act as free men, those who find freedom in Christ, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. For example, I'm not going to go on social media and to voice my disagreement or my disapproval of governing authorities, I'm not going to say, you know what, screw governor or president so-and-so. You're such a bleep, 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 and then hashtag not my governor or not my president. And then have other posts that say, you know what, Jesus loves you. God bless you. Come to our Easter service. Come to our, our Sunday service. Also, if we choose to stand up and call out injustices, we are to do it in ways that are peaceful, respectable, and honorable. This might, feather, you know, this might mess with some of your feathers, but I'm, I'm just going to say it. We are not to protest injustices by looting, vandalizing, using violence, or even harming others. You know, this would be us using our freedom as a covering for evil rather than serving God. Let me give you another example. If we disagree with the outcome of the 2020 election, we have the right to voice our disagreement. We have the right to protest. That's, that's under our law in this nation. But the moment we decide to get involved and storm the Capitol building, wreaking a havoc in the name of truth and integrity, at that moment we're using our freedom as a covering for evil and not serving God. Church, just imagine, just imagine, Imagine me going on social media and cursing somebody that I may disagree with or bad-mouthing somebody that I may disagree with, I, I, I don't approve of. Or imagine me going outside in the name of, you know, protesting injustice that I'm looting, I'm vandalizing, I'm using violence, I'm harming, you know, law enforcement or even those, just others who, who are there in the name of justice. 
Or imagine if I stormed inside that Capitol building, right, making a statement for truth and integrity, and I make the front cover of Los Angeles Times and the OC Register. The moment they find out that I'm a Christian, or even worse, that I'm a pastor, at that moment, I've now validated maybe some of the thoughts that unbelievers may have towards Christians, even if at that moment I'm misrepresenting Christianity and Jesus Christ. See, church, the truth is this. Both God and the world expect different from us. Both God and the world expect us as followers of Christ to be different. And in that, we are to show the world that as children of God, we are different. Again, we are to use our freedom in Christ to resist evil, to do good for the sake of the loss and the glory of God, and not to cover up evil. And one way we do this is by submitting to and honoring our governing authorities. Even in our civil disobedience, even when we obey God rather than men, even in those moments, we must make sure that we do it in a way that's pleasing and honoring to God, as well as respectful and honoring to those that are around us. Church, I know this is a lot, and that's why I'm thankful that Apostle Peter summarizes everything in verses 13 and 16 in one verse in verse 17. And this is what he says. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's go over this briefly. He says, honor all people. Honor even those that we disagree with and we disapprove of. We can disagree with somebody without having to sin against them. I'll give you an example. Those of you that are married, do you always agree with your spouse 100%? Probably not. In your disagreements, do you badmouth them and you curse at them and you call them names because you disagree with each other? If you're, if you're nodding and you said yes, I would just want to remind you as beloved children of God, please make sure even in your disagreement, honor your spouse. We, also, we are also to honor those who may be of different ethnicity from us, different skin color, those that may be in different economic levels and even education levels from us, those that have different cultural backgrounds, those who are simply different from us, we are called to honor them. Why? Because we know that all men have been created in the image of God. So again, he says, honor all people. Secondly, he says, love the fellow believers. Jesus said in John 13 that the world will know that you are, that my, you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Church, it's no secret that our nation is divided by politics, but we shouldn't be as a church. Our love for one another should not be hindered because of our differences and our disagreements, because our allegiance to the kingdom of God and our unity in the body of Christ should be greater than any political allegiance or affiliation. We are to show the world that we can disagree and that we can be different, but yet still love one another in the way that God calls us to and to be united. See, that's the beauty of the body of Christ, that in Christ He unites all people. If you remember the disciples, it's crazy. You have Simon the Zealot who, who hates the Roman Empire, and you have Matthew the tax collector, Levi, who works for the Roman government. 
But yet Jesus brings them together, and they're counted as one of the 12 disciples and work for the kingdom of God. And church, if you didn't know, maybe this is news to you, God is neither a Democrat, and he's not a Republican, he's not Libertarian, or any of those. God is for the kingdom of God. He says here, fear God. How do we fear God? We fear God by asking him how we are to respond and react rather than allowing others to dictate that or allowing our own emotions and understandings to dictate how we respond or how we voice our disagreements, our disapprovals, or whatever it may be. And in his word, when it comes to governing authorities, it says we are to, again, honor and to submit in submission to God who has, again, created and establish the institution of governmental authority. We are to fear God. Lastly, he says, honor the king. Despite our views, despite our thoughts, our disagreements, whatever it may be about our governing authorities, he says we are to honor them. Remember, Apostle Peter is writing to Christians who are under the rule of Emperor Nero, the one who has acted heinously against Christians. But yet here, he calls them, he commands them, he says, honor the king, even one such like Nero. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about our civil life. Let's now focus on our vocational one. I've been waiting for this moment because now we can talk about our bosses, right, and our vocational authorities, and coincidentally, uh, mine is sitting right in front of me here, all right? This is what God says in verses 18 to 20. He says this, is servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. This word unreasonable can be translated as crooked. It's from the Greek word of scoliosis or scolios, and that's where we get the word scoliosis of our spine, right? Verse 19, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Apostle Peter is writing here to servants. Maybe in some of your translation, it it, it might say slaves. And rather than avoiding this topic, I, I feel the need to touch on this very Briefly, prior to just applying the principles of what, you know, Apostle Peter is telling the Christians there um, that are in slavery. You know, it, it is said in, in historical accounts that over one-third of the Roman Empire were, was made up of slaves. Therefore, it's, it's not surprising for us to think that many of the members in the church may have actually been slaves, But there are two things I want to comment here regarding slaves during that time, during the time of the Roman era. When we read the word slaves in Scripture, when we read about slavery in the Roman era, it's different from how we may understand slavery, you know, based on our history here in the United States. Let me share some examples. One, slavery then was not based on race, skin color, or ethnicity. The most common source of slaves in Rome were prisoners of war from every country in the Mediterranean region and and wherever they were, you know, battling and and having wars. Secondly, you know, some people 
some slaves actually voluntarily sold themselves into what you would call indentured servanthood. And they would do this because they had a debt to pay, so they would work or they would serve um, in, in a household to help pay for that debt. Maybe they were bankrupt and they needed money, so they sell themselves to a household so they can work there to, to make money. Also, some even sold themselves into slavery or servanthood because they were pursuing a better life. I'll give you another example. Many slaves during that time could reasonably expect emancipation during their lifetime. It says that, you know, scholars have written that a great number of slaves could expect to be released when they reach the age of 30. The way we understand slavery here in the States, you know, slavery was lifetime. It was a bondage. It was a con- not even a contract. It's just bondage for life. But back then in Roman era, slaves were, again, they had a reasonable expectation to be emancipated um, during their lifetime, especially when they reached the age of 30. Let me give you one more example. Many of the slaves during that time in the Roman era, they were skilled and they were educated, right? Although there were servants and slaves who were, you know, part of hard labor, um, some of these slaves were actually teachers. They were doctors. They were accountants. You know, they were uh, caretakers in the home. They were part of the family, even. And they had specialized roles. So again, there's, there's a difference. We, we can't equate Roman-era slavery to uh, U.S. history slavery. It's, it's not the same thing, okay? So I want us to kind of understand that when we read Scripture. But this is not to say that the masses weren't cruel. It, it doesn't, it's not to say that they were unjust or they weren't wicked, right? For again, when we read verses 18 to 20, we find Apostle Peter, right, he's calling Christian slaves to be submissive, and to honor their masters, even those that are unreasonable, even those that are unjust, even those that may be harsh towards them. He tells them, verses 18, hey, don't pay back evil with evil, but respond with that, respond to that evil with respect and honor amid unjust suffering, for this is what is commendable to God. Again, also, even though slavery in the Roman era may have been different from how we may understand slavery here in the States, it doesn't make any of the cruel practices of slavery during that time justifiable, which brings me to a second point. The second point is this. The Bible doesn't advocate or endorse slavery. Nowhere in Scripture do we find a theological justification for the practice of slavery. Here in our passage today, Apostle Peter is simply acknowledging the situation that these Christian slaves were in, but not once is he justifying the practice of it. You know, when we read 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11, this is what the Word of God says. It says this, but we know that the law is good, God's law. If one uses it lawfully, realizing the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners. Check this out. Verse 10, he says, for slave traders and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. In this list that I've mentioned here, he includes slave trading. And he says, this is contrary to sound teaching, and it's contrary according to the gospel of the blessed God. I give you one more final point. It's this, slavery is an abomination to the biblical truth 
that all men have been created equal in the eyes of God or in the image of God. All right, just making those comments, I just want you to understand a little bit briefly when we read about slavery in Scripture. Okay, now that I've made those comments, let's apply these principles. Let's apply what Apostle Peter has been calling the Christian slaves to do in relation to their masters, and now we relate it to our context in our workplace, in our vocation. How many of you have bosses or those in authority in your workplace that you absolutely respect and you absolutely enjoy working for? Like, it's easy to respect them. It's easy to honor them. It's, it's a joy to work for them, right? Me? Is that a question or is that a statement, right? Just maybe ponder about that. <laughs> now, how many of us maybe work for those in authority and bosses that are not kind, not gentle? Maybe they're rude. Maybe they're unfair. They're unreasonable. Maybe they're, maybe they're harsh. They, maybe they're degrading or flat out. They're a jerk. How many of you, right? Maybe some of you are thinking, yeah, that, that's me. And maybe some of us, we are in those situations. We are in situations where we're working for somebody that it's just really difficult. It's just really hard to respect them. It's really hard to honor them. Well, what are we to do as children of God and those who belong to the kingdom of God? How are we to respond and what are we to do in these situations? The Bible tells us in verse 18, it says this. You may not like it, but this is what the Word of God says. It says, be submissive with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Here it states in the Word of God that we are to be submissive and respectable towards those in authority including those that are not gentle, including those that are not kind, but those who may be, again, unreasonable, unfair, harsh, and just difficult. You know, this isn't an easy task. It's easier said than done. Because if we're going to be honest, sometimes we're tempted, right, to retaliate, to repay evil with evil, right, by gossiping or talking bad about our bosses, to talk bad about our employers behind their back, um, even with fellow colleagues and coworkers. Maybe we're tempted to do a half-hearted job or not even to perform our job out of spite towards those who are giving the work to do. And maybe we're at moments tempted to just respond in, in, with attitude and even to tell them off. Right? These are just some examples. Maybe you have other examples you can think of. It's not easy. It's not hard. We live in this flesh. There's temptation to repay evil with evil. Then how can we find strength? How can we find strength in responding in the way that God calls us to, to be submissive and to respect those in authority in our workplaces? One, it's this. We remember who we are ultimately serving and who we are ultimately working for. Yes, we work for our employee, employers here on earth. Yes, we, we, we work for, you know, our bosses in, in our organizations and our companies, whatever it may be. But as believers, we ultimately serve and work for our God Almighty. Scripture tells us in everything that we do, whether in, in, in word or deed, whether we eat or drink, whatever it is, we are called to do it all for the glory of God. Scripture tells us that when we work and we serve, we are to do it as we are serving and working 
for the Lord. So to have this in mind, church, that, that we are servants of God and that we're called to serve and honor God in our workplaces. And we are to do that through our conduct. Therefore, we choose again to maybe hold our tongues, maybe not to gossip, not to badmouth our employers and our bosses, you know, behind their backs with other colleagues and coworkers, all those at times, let's be honest, gossip makes us feel validated. It makes us feel empowered, but we have to ask the question, is that what God wants us to do? Is that how God is, is calling us to respond? You know, we, we choose to do our best when we're given a job to do, in spite of how we may have been treated or despite of how our boss and their conduct and what they're like, maybe, again, they're unfair, they're unreasonable, but in view, again, of who we're ultimately serving, working for, we say, God, this is for you. I am going to do my best, and I'm going to give my best out of honor to you and to glorify you. And maybe rather than responding with attitude or in a spiteful way, we, we telling you know, our bosses off, we choose to respond in a respectful and honorable way, even when our bosses and those in authority may, be, may, be, may not be treating us in kind. Can I throw something else out to you, church? Maybe rather than cursing them, again, talking down at them or bad about them, Maybe we could pray for them. Maybe we can lift them up. Not praying God, you know, curse them or do something to them, but maybe we could pray that, especially those of our bosses, those of our employees that may, may not know Jesus Christ, we pray for their salvation. We pray for their souls. Because when we respond in this way, the Word of God states that what we read, this is what honor, honors and pleases God. For Apostle Peter says in verse 20, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, he says, this finds favor with God. Church, when you and I choose not to retaliate, repay evil with evil, when we choose to bless rather than curse, and we respond with respect and honor, it says that this finds favor with God. In other words, this is what is pleasing to God. This is what honors Him. And just in closing today, church, in moments when we're tempted to respond according to our flesh, Apostle Peter reminds us in the concluding verses of Jesus Christ, and he calls us to follow in the example and the steps of Christ. And this is what he says in verses 21, 24, and we're closing soon right now. Um, these are the concluding verses. He says this, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. The word of God is stating and reminding us here as servants and beloved children of God, we are to follow in the example. We are to follow in the steps of God. Jesus committed no sin. He has done no wrong. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was treated unjustly. He suffered and he died a sinner's death. Again, without having committed one sin. And he died in the most excruciating way. But we read here that what he did not retaliate. He did not pay back evil with evil. He didn't curse those who cursed him. He didn't mock those who mocked him. 
Rather, he chose to love and to show compassion even to those that have harmed him. In the same way, church, we are called again to follow in the example of Christ. For again, we have been called to be more like Christ. That's what Jesus calls us to do. If you remember in chapter 1, we're called to be holy for he is holy. God is calling us to be sanctified, to become more like Christ. How do we do that? Well, we follow in his example. We respond in the way that he calls us to respond. And we respond in the way that he responded, even in moments when he faced unjust suffering. And he endured it patiently, entrusting himself to the righteous one who will righteously judge and vindicate. We're not to take matters into our own hands, but to entrust even our circumstances and our situations to God, knowing that God is the one who vindicates, knowing that God is the one who will judge righteously, knowing again that this is how Jesus responded, and he left us an example for us to follow in his steps. Church, may Christ, or may your colleagues, may your bosses and those over you in authority, may they see Christ in you. May they see a difference in us and how we respond and how we react, even in how we work in places when it is difficult, in places when it is challenging. As Christ responded in righteousness in his unjust situation, may we do the same as his beloved children by resisting evil and doing good for the sake of the loss and the glory of God again in our workplace by submitting and honoring those in authority. Amen. Let's pray.